Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Ryan Scotes, who is currently a lecturer in sociology at Coventry University. His work focuses on people's experiences of mixed gender threesomes, as well as masculinities and sexualities, with the goal of reducing sexual shame and stigma and encouraging more open and honest dialogues around sexual desire. His latest book is titled Understanding Threesomes, Gender, Sex, and Consensual Non-Monogamy. Today, we're going to be talking about the science of threesomes. Having a threesome is one of the most popular sexual fantasies, but it's something that relatively few people have ever done in reality. We're going to talk about why that is, what people's experiences with threesomes are actually like, how to navigate common issues and challenges in threesomes, including feelings of jealousy and exclusion, as well as what happens after a threesome. I can't wait to dive into this conversation, so let's get to it. Hi, Ryan, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to have you here to talk about threesomes and maybe a little bit about group sex more broadly, which is a subject that often doesn't get a lot of attention in academic circles. There's just not a lot of scientific research out there on this subject, which is kind of surprising when you think about it, given how many people are turned on by these activities. Oh, absolutely. It's When you start digging down into the actual data that is there, it's shocking how many people are doing these things. But I think when it comes to funding, there are less and less institutions or governments who are happy to say, oh, yeah, we spent our money in investigating people having group sex. I think there is still that stigma around it. Oh, absolutely. It's true for sex research more broadly. I mean, I had a colleague who wanted to study the impact of sexual arousal on people's decision making. And in order to do that, she needed to have a condition in her experiment where subjects were sexually aroused. And so she was going to show them some pornography, which is a common way that people manipulate arousal in the lab. Mm -hmm. But the university didn't allow her to do that because they said, we can't show porn to college students because we're a state-funded university. And if people find out about this, then the government might give us less money. And, and so, you know, there's, there's all these institutional and funding barriers to, to studying sex in general, and also threesomes specifically, which I think is part of the reason why there's not a lot of work on this uh, topic in the first place. But I'm kind of curious if you can tell my listeners a little bit about your professional path and how you came to study threesomes. I know it's often reported in the media that you are the first person to get your PhD in threesomes, which is a pretty cool distinction <laughs> to have. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't know. I'm not sure whether that is an accurate thing to say, but it, it, <laughs> makes, a nice, it makes a nice headline for people to put in their articles. So what I can say is up until sort of recent years, there have not been many in-depth studies looking at specifically threesomes and that is starting to change a bit more now but the last book on threesomes and solely looking at threesomes before my own work last year was i think published in 1988 and that's incredible when you consider that things have changed massively in 
the world in general, let alone how we engage with sex and how we understand sex. And so, yeah, my research was an attempt to update things a little bit. And yeah, I'm sure there are others who have done other work on threesomes as well. Maybe not the first PhD, as they say. Yeah, my journey was a little bit around about the houses. So I started off uh, in my first degree. It wasn't in sexology or even sociology, which is kind of my main area now. But I did a degree looking at education and coaching. And within this, there were a lot of social science modules, so sociology and psychology. And this started to get me interested in notions of gender and masculinity specifically. From there, I decided that this was an area that I would like to go into and I'd like to go into academia. So I ended up doing a master's in research methods and sociology and started to move away from the focus on sport and looking more at men and their friendships together and their representations of masculinity. But always kind of in the back of my head was that interest in sex more generally. And so I kind of transitioned a little bit further when starting my PhD and started to look at notions of gender as well as sex. And I had this idea once out of my own experiences of having a threesome and it not being quite how I expected it to be, going to the literature and then seeing, oh, there's not actually a lot of literature out there on this. And this is a really fascinating topic. And I wonder how other people are experiencing these things. And tying that together with the understanding I had of gender at that time and um, my understanding of sexual behavior and sexuality that I'd kind of built up over a number of years, it just it seemed like the perfect project at the time. Yeah, and I think so many other people have that same experience as you where they wonder, uh, not just are other people doing this, but what are their experiences like? And how do you navigate these types of situations? What 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 is the impact on people's relationships? And there's so much that you can find in the popular media that's been written about it, but it's generally all just anecdotal reports. And so, you know, we're kind of missing that piece of what are people's experiences like in the broader population? How does that vary across different groups? And so that's why I think, you know, part of the reason why this, this work is so important. But to go back to something you were saying about studying research methods, and it just kind of reminded me of how when I was a college professor and was teaching research methods courses, mm -hmm. students always dreaded <laughs> taking that class because a lot of people think that research is boring. And so I always turned my research methods courses into sex research methods. And I found nice. that all of a sudden, students loved research, right? So <laughs> if you can make research and statistics about sex, this is just a little pro tip for any of my fellow college professors who might be listening, <laughs> you know, put more sex in your methods course and you will get your students interested absolutely yeah yeah the tricks are getting people to learn not realize they're learning trick them capture them with something interesting <laughs> yep absolutely so why do you think it's important to study threesomes i mean we talked a little bit about kind of like your own professional journey but why should people care about this more broadly why do we need more work in this area i think it's really important to understand what people are actually doing and when we understand what they are actually 
doing. And there's a lot of people who are having threesomes. By knowing what they're doing, we can understand the kind of the positives and the negatives and potentially guard against some of the negatives or interrogate the problematic aspects of how people are going around these things. So I think there is quite often the assumption that threesomes are relegated to the real fringes of society and it's only sexual deviants who would have them or these people who are into loads of other more fringe sexual activities. But the reality is there's a lot of people doing it. And if we don't understand, if we don't interrogate the cultural myths around what happens within a threesome, then we can't start to unpick and challenge and start to come up with educational initiatives like, oh, perhaps we should be teaching people about how to have safe group sex if a significant number of people are having group sex. So I think it's on the face of it, it's interesting. It's interesting to know, but it also has these important elements in terms of healthcare policy, in terms of sex education policy. And we need to understand these behaviors in order to adequately navigate them, I think. Yeah. And I think that's just so true of sexual behavior more generally, because if we don't have the data, then our educational efforts and in healthcare policy and all of these other things are just guided based on people's assumptions and personal beliefs and views. And so having more data is generally always better when it comes to sex, because if we don't know what people are doing and how they're approaching these situations, what their experiences are like, then how can we develop adequate policies surrounding sexuality more generally? Yeah. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times that a lot of people or a surprising number of people have had threesomes. So how many people have done it? And are certain people more likely to have had a threesome than others? So there's not completely conclusive data, but I know that there has been some nationally representative work in the US. And I believe that was in the region of seven. 15% of men and 10% of women had ever had a threesome. So some of my own work, like looking at university undergraduate men, these from like just a, a sample of 30 of them, a third had had a threesome. I believe you also have a recent paper out that you are an author on, which also suggests it's similar numbers, roughly a third of your sample. And correct me if I'm wrong, Justin. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I think it it is a significant number, definitely. Yeah. And so we had a paper that just came out in Archives of Sexual Behavior that was a project that I did with a few of my graduate students a couple of years ago where we kind of wanted to better understand threesomes. And I think this was actually before your book came out. Mm -hmm. And the limited data that we had seen on the subject was all based on college students. And so mm -hmm. we wanted to collect a college student sample and then a broader, more diverse internet sample to compare whether rates of threesomes, interest in threesomes differs based on age and other demographic traits. And what we found was that if we combined our student sample and the internet sample together, about 30% overall said they'd had a, a threesome. But if you just looked at the college students separately, it was only about 10%. Mm -hmm. So the rate of 
threesomes was much higher when you look at this broader more diverse sample and part of the reason that threesomes are more common in that group is is simply because of age right we actually mm -hmm. find that older adults are more likely to have had experience with threesomes which i think kind of runs contrary to some stereotypes we have about college student sexuality we think they're having the most adventuresome sex and always having sex and you know yeah. we hear all these things about the college demographic but it's actually you know people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who I see are actually much more likely to have had a threesome. Yeah. And I also find that there are some differences based on sexual orientation, where heterosexual identified individuals are much less likely to report having had a threesome than sexual minorities. And, and people who identify as bisexual in particular seem to be the most likely to report threesomes in our research. So mm -hmm. there do seem to be some differences based on age, sexual orientation. So some people are more likely to have threesomes than others. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that age thing, it's one thing to think about people being at college and i found in particular like a lot of these younger people have this idea of oh i need to tickle these things off of my bucket list before i get older and i settle down and i don't have these opportunities but this is perhaps just a perception that they have just because they get older does not necessarily mean that they have these sexual avenues closed off to them and the longer people are alive the more opportunity they have to have sex and to explore sex and to do things that they have not done with sex before. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Older people having a higher rate, I think. Yeah. And, you know, something else, you know, since you talk about younger adults thinking, oh, I got to get this out of my system. I got to sow my wild oats now. You know, if you wait to have some of these experiences, they might actually be even better when you're older, right? Because people develop more body confidence. They mm -hmm. learn more about what feels good to them, what's pleasurable to them. They also start to care a bit less about what other people think, which can make things a little bit more freeing and liberating. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, th there's no reason you necessarily have to rush to do everything in your sex life while you're younger, because it's possible that it might actually be better if you wait a bit till you're older, more confident, experienced, and, and so forth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not just you know, firm-bodied young people who have <laughs> who have all the sex. It is the older, less caring people as well. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about why threesomes are such a popular turn-on in the first place. You know, I've conducted research on sexual fantasies, and I find that when I ask people about their favorite fantasy of all time, threesome by far is the single most common thing that comes up. And when I ask people if they've ever fantasized about a threesome, the vast majority of people, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, other demographics, have fantasized about it before. So why is that? What are your thoughts on why threesomes and group sex are such a popular turn-on? It's a really interesting one. So I think there's a number of aspects that contribute to this. I think Firstly, you have the whole mythology around threesomes and the way that they are, or at least have been, represented in the media and in movies as being this pinnacle of sexual excitement. I think you also have the idea that, oh, if sex with one person is good, then sex with more than one person is going to be even better. And then I think there's a certain 
mysticism or taboo nature of it, which can be a bit of an excitement, a bit of a turn on for people. So they're not quite sure how it would be. They perhaps see it as something a little bit naughty. It's maybe briefly challenging this societal monogamy, which we are encouraged to do. And there's a potential for pleasing two other people at the same time. And there's a lot of new experiences, a lot of excitement that can be potentially tied up with it. And this is not to say that these things necessarily will be like that, but I think there's a certain amount of expectation and maybe counterintuitively, a certain amount of unknown quantity of what's it going to be like. This is exciting. Yeah. And I think your thoughts align pretty well with mine in that, you know, part of the appeal is just the novelty and newness. And if you have an extra person there, an extra set of genitals, like <laughs> yeah. you have more things to look at, more thing, more activities you can try. So it adds a lot of different forms of novelty, but you're right in that it's also a big societal taboo because we're encouraged to just enter a relationship with one person and stay monogamous for, for the rest of our lives. And, you know, tying in with that is that as people are in their relationships longer, if they're monogamous, we see that sexual satisfaction tends to go down over time. Sexual frequency tends to go down over time. And part of that is just because that need for novelty it is hard to meet in an ongoing mm -hmm. monogamous relationship unless you're actively working on it. Because that, you know, sort of period of intense passion, you know, what the research shows is that it lasts anywhere from six months to two years on average mm -hmm. in relationships. And if you want to keep it going longer than that, you have to be constantly trying new and different things with your partner. And so a threesome is sort of an easy way to, to add that element of novelty. But it's, it's also a way I think that people meet a lot of emotional needs as well. In fact, when I look at people's fantasies about threesomes, I find that most people, when they write them out and describe them, they talk about wanting to be the center of attention. And so uh -huh. it's sort of about this feeling or wanting to be overwhelmingly desired by to other people at the same time. And as you mentioned, you know, also having that opportunity to please more than one partner at once, right? It can build up those feelings of sexual confidence or, or sexual competence, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's this emotional element to threesomes that, that often gets overlooked and people think, oh, it's all about the physicality, but there's, there's this emotional subtext that I think is interesting to explore in its own right. Absolutely. And I think that can also create issues. So certainly some of the people I spoke to, they had assumptions about who would be the center of attention and how the reality didn't necessarily live up to the fantasy. And when they were not the center of attention, it kind of brought this idea of a threesome being the be-all and end-all down in their mind because they saw that the other people were interested in each other as well as interested in them. And it was, it was not what they expected. The fantasy was quite different from the, the actual experience. Yeah. And if you have, say, two people in a relationship who say, okay, let's, let's have a threesome. Let's invite somebody in. 
and they don't really talk about it beforehand. And in their minds, both of them are the the center of attention. Well, mm-hmm. that can <laughs> create some inherent conflict when you go into this situation because you both have these wildly different expectations. And I think that's true for sexual fantasies more broadly, is that it's really important to communicate about those expectations. Get on the same page first, because you might be walking in with very different assumptions about what the script should be, who's going to do what and when, and all of these other sorts of things. And so generally speaking, more communication is is always better in terms of reducing the risk of, of some of those negative outcomes. But we'll come back and talk about tips and advice for more successful threesomes in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about gender and threesomes for a minute. Now, as we mentioned, you know, threesomes are a popular turn on for most people, regardless of gender. But in the research, we see that at least in heterosexual cisgender populations, women tend to report less interest in threesomes on average than men. Mm -hmm. But there is some variability in that interest depending on the composition of the threesome. So if it's an FFM where you have two females and one male, or an MMF where you've got two males and one female, we do see some differences in the size of the, you know, sort of gender disparity there. Mm -hmm. So why is that? You know, what do you think accounts for the fact that men on average tend to be more interested in threesomes than women? I think men broadly and culturally have a lot less to lose by being interested in a threesome. So women are held to a different standard. So they have the potential of being seen and uh, cast as uh, sluts or as easy, and it can be very damaging to their reputation. So them engaging or being willing to admit that they're happy to engage in it is a more risky endeavor for them. So I think women, in theory, have a lot more to lose. In contrast for men, they've got a lot more to gain. So if they're having sex with perhaps two women, then they might be seen as a bit of a stud, a bit of a player, as really sexually desirable and competent. If they are having a threesome with another man and a woman, it doesn't necessarily challenge their sexuality if they're a heterosexual guy so it doesn't necessarily cast those same aspersions that it may have once done and instead they're seen to be perhaps an outgoing and an exciting person who has gone and done this exciting thing and had this uh, new experience with a friend and it's a great story to talk about whereas yeah as i was saying women are they still can have these great experiences, but our understandings of what's appropriate for men and women and in terms of masculinity and femininity, I think the threesome, it feeds into what we expect of men, but less so of what we expect of women. Yeah, I think there's definitely truth to that. And I, I have some data. We haven't published it yet, but it's on my my list of projects to to get to soon <laughs> where we wanted to to try and understand what accounts for that gender difference between men and women in their interest in threesomes. And the approach we took was to really base it in the same approach that Terry Conley took when she was studying gender differences in offers of casual sex. Uh-huh. And what what Conley did was to to sort of base this in pleasure theory. And so she looked at 
men and women and how they evaluate people of the other sex who approach them with an offer of casual sex and ask them Mm -hmm. to evaluate the other person's personality traits and characteristics, how much pleasure they thought they would experience if they had sex with them, how risky they thought having sex with them would be in terms of both their reputation and also in terms of their, their sexual health. And so we took that same sort of model and we applied it in the context of threesomes. So, so what Conley found when she was looking at casual sex was that women tended to evaluate random guys who approached them for sex as kind of being creepy and undesirable. Mm-hmm. And they didn't anticipate a lot of pleasure. They perceived a lot of risk. And so when women receive offers of casual sex where they know that their pleasure is a priority, when they perceive the risk is low, they're a lot more interested. And that gender difference largely goes away or it becomes very small. So mm-hmm. when we looked at this in the context of threesomes, we found that when men and women are thinking about threesomes, that women tend to evaluate men who are into threesomes more negatively than men evaluate women who are into threesomes. And we find that women anticipate experiencing less pleasure. They don't think that their pleasure is going to be prioritized. They perceive more risk, both in terms of the reputation, for example, being called a slut, and then also in terms of their sexual health, their potential risk of sexual assault. So these all seem to be key factors in kind of explaining this gender difference. So I think it's this complex thing where we need to look at the reputational side of things, the the concerns that are there that are unique and gendered, the risk level more broadly for sexual health, and then also that pleasure piece really seems to be key as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that just picking up on something you said there about not being interested in advances from strangers, I think people seem more likely and more happy to engage in threesomes when it is people they know and they see the risk diminished on a lot of levels. So they're not as worried about the people perhaps going out and telling everyone about things or they're more comfortable to, or they feel more comfortable to say to the person that they don't want to do particular things and have that open dialogue or perhaps ask them to stop or do something differently. Whereas with a stranger, these social interactions become a bit more difficult. And so it's less less of a safe situation, but less desirable for them to enter into it. It's so true. And it tracks with what we find in our own data, where when we ask people how desirable a threesome would be when it's with a stranger versus an acquaintance versus a you know friend or romantic partner, the stranger is the, the least preferred. And I think in part, that's because they perceive it as, as riskier. They're not going to have the same level of communication. They don't know that their pleasure is going to be prioritized. There's already so much uncertainty when it comes mm-hmm. to a threesome. And if you do it with a complete stranger, that only further heightens the uncertainty in terms of how it's going to go. So I would suspect that's part of what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So you hinted at this a little bit earlier. What are people's experiences with threesomes actually like? So when you were talking to people, were they generally happy with how things went? Were there any common issues or concerns that came up? So how did people tend to look back on the threesomes that they'd had? So I would say broadly, people were more positive than they were negative. But 
little disclaimer here. I think that will be in part a result of uh, sampling bias. And I think people with really negative experiences are probably less likely to want to recount those. And so that is probably reflected in some of my findings. That said, I did hear from people who had had negative experiences. But overall, people were more on the side of positive than negative. I think for women, they quite often would say, oh, it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it would be. So the, the fears that they had, they didn't necessarily materialize. Whereas the opposite was true for men. They thought it was going to be the best thing ever. And it was perhaps a little bit disappointing for them. And then you kind of have this whole other group who just found the threesomes to be good, but just sort of normal. It was part of their sexual repertoire, part of what they would engage in sexually. And so they enjoyed it, but not necessarily any more or any less than other sexual acts. It was just something fun that they had engaged in or would engage in. And it was just part of how they might have sex. It just happened to be that it was a threesome. Yeah. And that also kind of lines up with what I found in my sexual fantasy research, where there is sort of a mixed bag when it comes to experiences. And on average, you know, most people reported being happy with their previous threesome experiences. But when you looked at people's experiences acting on their threesome fantasies compared to acting on other types of fantasies, threesomes were less likely to turn out well than, than other types of activities. So there, there does seem to be a little bit more risk of negative outcomes in this particular type of fantasy when people try to make it a reality. Mm. And I think that it does line up with what you say too about the expectations. You know, what are your expectations going in? And if you've got a pretty low bar, <laughs> yeah. well, odds are you're, you might be pleasantly surprised. But if you've got these really sky high expectations that you've built up in your head over a, a period of years or decades, and then you go to have a threesome, you know, you're setting yourself up for disappointment as a, um, a social psychologist, I like to talk a lot about this idea of what we call affective forecasting, where we try to predict our emotions in future situations, sexually and otherwise. And we have this tendency to overestimate how good we're going to feel in a positive situation. And so if you go in with those really high expectations, that increases the odds that, you know, the, the fantasy isn't going to match up with the reality, just because it's hard for us to predict what our future emotions are going to be like, and to take into account everything that's going to have changed in our lives between now and then. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I also wonder if, with a particular case of a threesome, sort of injecting another person into a relationship, if that is the scenario, this is ultimately more complex and there's less controllable factors than if, say, you're a couple and you wanted to try pegging for the first time. And within that scenario, there's a lot more things that are controllable and you can plan for, whereas bringing someone else into the bedroom was another person with their own wants and desires and needs and ways of behaving and acting and the whole social dynamics. It's, yeah, there's just more potential for it to go wrong. And it sounds like maybe it does. 
yeah, that, that does seem to be the case based on the data that I've collected. And so, you know, I think that leads to my next question, which I think is something a lot of listeners are very curious about, which is how do you most successfully navigate a threesome? You know, what what is your advice on how to reduce the risk of things like jealousy popping up or feeling excluded and increasing the odds of a positive, pleasurable experience for everyone involved? And we might need to tackle this question in, in two different ways because there are lots of different threesome circumstances. So, mm. you know, for example, a couple that's inviting somebody into their bedroom you know, the concerns there or the approach there might be a little bit different than if, say, you have somebody who's walking into a threesome without a romantic partner and maybe they're joining a couple or there's just a group of people that they got together. So, you know, we could kind of talk about whether there are any separate pieces of advice we might give people based on the type of threesome they're going to have. But what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, yeah, it's a complicated one because of the complex nature of threesomes but i think overwhelmingly no matter what type of threesome seemed to be had communication did seem to be a way that people could navigate and have a better chance of a successful threesome so talking about the sorts of things you were interested in and weren't interested in and understanding what people were looking to get out of the experience and this could help reduce unwanted behaviors and perhaps misunderstandings potentially reduce feelings of exclusion or people uh, receiving unequal amounts of attention if equality is an important aspect so thinking about couples i would say that some people have gone the route of not engaging in every kind of sexual behavior with the third person as they might do in their own relationship. And this kind of served to symbolically like keep the relationship as something different. So people were not doing everything that they would normally in bed with this other person. So that was one kind of protective measure that some people did engage in. But I would say it's important if doing that to still bear in mind the feelings and the desires of the third person uh it's perhaps a bit unethical to consider them as just a a sexual object to be brought in to facilitate good times for the couple they have their own desires and interests at the same time so considering what they want i think is going to help them to have a better scenario and situation uh, thinking about perhaps three people who are not necessarily any of them in a romantic relationship, um, it seemed to be that people were more comfortable and had good experiences when having threesomes with people that they knew. So this allowed for a lot of comfort. It allowed for them to have awkward conversations or discussions if they needed to. It allowed them more opportunity to sort of deconstruct things afterwards if they weren't happy with things. And there was already that level of comfort built up. There was that level of personability that you don't necessarily have with a stranger. Now that said, having these sorts of 
sexual escapades with people you know still does have risks in itself. If people are unhappy with how the threesome went or perhaps become exceedingly jealous because of the activities that were engaged in, this can have negative impacts on people's friendships. And so some people decided that they would like to have threesomes only with people that they didn't know, so to avoid this. So on the one hand, you have the benefit of not wrecking a friendship and easily being able to cut someone out if you don't really know them very well. But on the other hand, you do have the comfort and the capacity or potential capacity to talk when it is someone that you know well. So I think, yeah, getting around that jealousy and that exclusion aspect It all comes down to expectations and making those explicit, having those out there and sort of bearing in mind what everyone is there for and, yeah, what they are looking to get out of it. Yeah, I think that's all great advice, you know, making this an experience where there's mutuality, mutual concern for meeting everybody's sexual needs and really clearly laying out the boundaries and the limits and, you know, what is and is not acceptable behavior. And then I think that also might mean that maybe threesomes tend to work out better when they're planned versus spontaneous, because if you're planning it, you can have more of that advanced communication. I know that a lot of people just kind of end up jumping into a threesome. They have a few drinks and it just kind of like happens somehow. And in those situations, people don't have that advanced communication and they're often just kind of (laughs) flailing in the experience in terms of like, you know, how does this go? So, you know, and I think that goes just more broadly to the way that people think about and approach sex, which is that a lot of people think that sex should always be spontaneous and that spontaneous sex is better. But with Mm -hmm. planned sex, you know, coming up with that plan, having the advanced communication, building up the anticipation often makes it a much better experience for everyone involved. Yeah, I think so. There's this idea that we shouldn't be talking about things. We should be very nonverbal, although, yeah, this is not how people can adequately communicate. But Going back to what you said about the alcohol, I think that's very true. A lot of people are interested in having these experiences and a bit of alcohol, it serves a number of functions. Firstly, it gives people that Dutch courage and it perhaps allows them to get over their inhibitions and approach people. But secondly, it can almost serve as a defense mechanism as to, oh, why did you ask us for a threesome? It's like, oh, I was drunk. And it allows people to escape it. So as much as it can increase or contribute to it being a less than positive experience, I think there's there's some clear reasons why it does often link with the alcohol or intoxicant. Yeah, and I think another part of the reason why alcohol is often used is that it ties in with something else in social psychology, this concept known as self-handicapping, where people are sort of intentionally creating an excuse that they can point to in the future if Mm. things don't go according to plan or don't go well. And so it's a way of deflecting blame from the self and preserving your positive self-view. And so, you know, for this reason, people actually oftentimes 
create obstacles to their own success because it's easier to do that and then blame the obstacle than it is to accept personal responsibility for it. So there's one other thing I wanted to talk about with people approaching threesomes and things to think about. What if you are somebody who is joining a couple for a threesome? How do you prevent or avoid an awkward scenario from from emerging? I, I know that, and I've certainly heard from many of my participants that sometimes they go in and join a couple and then it, it, it gets really awkward really quickly. So what's what's the advice to those individuals going in? I think the most common problem that seemed to come up was balance and who is the attention focused on. Now, it might be that someone comes into the threesome and they are only perhaps interested in one of the two members of a couple. And if a couple are not aware of this or perhaps wanted something where they were both interacting, and this can obviously lead to difficulties. That said, if, if the couple want that, if the couple uh, perhaps want this person to come in and join them and just mainly focus on one of the members of a couple whilst the other one perhaps watches or takes a back seat to things, that is fine. But it's when there is that mismatch in expectations. So I think, first of all, I would advise talking and figuring out what are people after. But if that is not something which has happened, then my next recommendation would be to strike a balance, make sure everyone is receiving some attention and not focusing too much on any one person. So to stop the remaining person feeling left out or feeling that, oh no, my partner's going to leave me for this new and exciting and novel person. Right. Yeah. It's like you said, it's one thing if it's going to be more of a cuckolding scenario. And I would encourage yeah. my listeners, if you haven't heard my episode on cuckolding, go <laughs> go check it out to learn more about that. But yeah, so if it's one of the partners just kind of really does want to sit on the side and watch and is really aroused by that. Great. You know, that, that can be very enjoyable for everybody. But I think a lot of times a person will go and join a couple and misrepresent their interest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're really only into one of the partners. And then that is the recipe oftentimes for that, that awkward situation because the threesome becomes a twosome and somebody feels left out. So it, it's important, I think, to step back and re-examine your motives and think about, are you approaching this for the right reasons? And are you taking both of the couple members needs and wants into account, right? So you talked about the importance of the couple members taking the third person's wants and needs into account. Mm -hmm. It's also important that third person who comes in to think about both of the members of the couple as well. Yep. No, absolutely. So we're running short on time, but there's one more topic I wanted to get into, which is kind of like, what happens after a threesome? And I'd like to talk about this in two ways. One is just sort of like, immediately after a threesome happens, three people in bed together or wherever it was that they had a threesome, what happens? You know, And is there sort of a, a common protocol that you've observed there? Do people just kind of go their own ways? Do they lay in bed and have intimacy? Do they go out for dinner? You know, we hear a lot about the host <laughs> orgy buffet, right? So, you know, does it then become like a, a social experience? Uh, I, I think a lot of it depends on 
how the experience was and who the experience was with. So if it's a group of friends who have entered into this after a night out drinking, then perhaps they're all just going to go to sleep if there's enough room all in the same bed, say. If it's been a positive experience, I think quite often people will maybe stay and hang out, you know, have food, have drinks, perhaps even wait around until they want to have sex again. Alternatively, if it's if you don't have that kind of intimacy built up or if it wasn't a great experience, you might see someone just, okay, I'm going to leave, yeah, get up and go. Or you might see someone perhaps withdraw from the three and sort of take themselves out of a situation to perhaps put up a bit of a barrier from those negative feelings currently attached to that situation. So I think it can vary quite a lot depending on who it's been with, and how the experience has been. Oh, Ryan, you're giving me so many research ideas, right? Like right <laughs> now, I'm thinking, like, okay, first, I want to know, what is the average length of time for a threesome? And how does that compare to the average length of time for a twosome? Right? So how long do threesomes last? And then how common is it for people to have multiple threesomes, you know, as sort of part of the same a sexual encounter, you know, maybe there's mm-hmm. probably a delay in between them, but for how many is there, there's sort of a repeat event and do they sleep over and have another one the next morning or, yeah. And then also how much intimacy is involved afterwards? What, what happened? Oh gosh, I just, now I need to do a whole study on yeah, <laughs> what I, happens. It's also quite interesting to think about if a few people have particular understandings or like say two out of the three had a great time and one person didn't, but this isn't actually noticed or acknowledged or understood by everyone. And then you have two people who are up for another threesome and up for instigating it again, but this other person is not. Things have shifted. So this is quite an awkward dynamic. And I wonder how this is navigated. Or what if one person falls asleep? And <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. And I know like there's wide diversity in people's experiences and all of these things that we've talked about have, have happened, but what, what are sort of the modal or more common outcomes and you know, how people react to them? We, we, we got multiple studies to do. We could, we could just make our <laughs> whole career about threesome research. Absolutely. Absolutely. So l- let me just ask one other thing, which is what, is the long-term outcome of having a threesome. Does that change people's sexual views and attitudes? Does it tend to change people's relationships or the way that they approach future relationships? Did you have anything in your data that, that speaks to that? Yes, I did. So it can change things and it cannot. It all depends on kind of people's attitudes before they come to the threesome. So we could probably gather that people have somewhat open attitudes towards threesomes before having one. But if they have had one and they had a good experience, that might actually alter their attitudes and expectations around threesomes. So it might reduce some of the stigma around it. It might reduce some of the stigma around people who have threesomes. This can also even be extended to other forms of consensual non-monogamy. So you might have someone who's had a threesome go, oh, I can actually understand and perhaps empathize a little more with people who have um, or who go swinging. Now, I can understand even if I wouldn't maybe want to do it myself. So 
can reduce the stigma for other groups or other activities that are deemed to be similar or deemed to be the same. So it can be quite useful in opening people's minds up. Now that said, just because people have positive attitudes or develop more positive or more open attitudes, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will go on to do these things or go on to explore these other things. So quite often people are attached to the idea of monogamy, say, and so they're happy to have had the experience to have done it, but could not see themselves doing it long term. Alternatively, for those who might be interested, sometimes life just gets in the way. And if you think about finding someone who is interested and arranging a time and all of the social activities that might go around the sex, not to mention the stigma that group sex can garner and from particular areas of society or if you have a particular job, there is a lot more risk of someone finding out that you engage in group sex on a regular basis. So these sorts of things can stop people from going further and continuing on with threesomes or group sex when they otherwise might. Right. So different outcomes for different people is kind of how this always turns out. But we are out of time. And I wanted to thank you so much for this fun and fascinating conversation on the science of threesomes. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about your work and learn about your book? Sure. So if you go to ryanscopesphd.com, then I've got a little bit about myself on there. You can read the first chapter of my book for free. There's also some of my articles up there for free and some of the other bits of writing that I've done. And I do believe that the paperback of my book, Understanding Threesome, should be out towards the end of the year. I believe this is the case. And yeah, it is a lot more affordable than the hardback academic version. (laughs) That's usually always the case. Oh, yeah. So head over to ryanscoatsphd.com to learn more. Thank you again for your time and your valuable insights. I really appreciate having you here. Thank you as well to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Lastly, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, as well as Ryan's latest book, Understanding Threesomes, if you want to learn more about the psychology of group sex and get more tips and advice on how to approach these situations. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.